Welcome to episode six of the Romanus Records podcast. This week we have our first non-musical guest. We have Derek Schultz, a longtime sports radio broadcaster and personality here in Indianapolis, close to the Romanus headquarters, and we're so excited to have him on today. Uh, one of our goals of the podcast for quite some time is to have guests that aren't only bands or labels, uh, but also DIY, entrepreneur, and people that we think have parallels to the rise and to the success and stories that are worth telling um, in their own professions. Uh, we think Derek's within sports radio has so many parallels to the efforts and grinds of anybody else trying to launch a band or launch a label, and we think he has a great story to tell. If this is your first time hearing of Romanus Records, welcome. We are an Indianapolis-based record label here in Indiana. We specialize in highly custom vinyl, and we work with bands across the globe. Finally, in current Romanus Records news, our King Gizzard liquid-filled records are nearly complete. Things are a dash slower right now due to the fact with COVID concerns, uh, none of our employees are able to come at this time, so it's just me, Chris Banner, your host, uh, making these records. We have a few new releases coming out, and we also continue to have a few of the James Legg splatters left from his newest seven inch release you can hear his new tracks on youtube with his music videos as well as on last week's interview with james leg himself here on the romanus records podcast finally we have a ton of new releases coming out throughout the year um, a lot of them are on a small pause at the moment uh, bands obviously can't tour at this time however be aware that there are roughly eight to nine new releases coming out throughout the year as well as other little custom things on our side label romanus custom vinyl manufacturing such as the ninja turtles release we did for enjoy the tunes that comes out today so without further ado thank you so much for your time and welcome to episode six of the romanus records podcast hello welcome back today we have the illustrious Derek schultz on the Romanus Records podcast. How are you today, Derek? I'm good, Chris. Wow, illustrious. That sounds, uh, it's for somebody that's unemployed, that is a really nice title. That's a, that's a really nice thing for you to say. <laughs> the good thing is, is that we have an existing friendship, so I know that you're, I know that you're serious. Yeah, no, there's a, there's a, look, there's a long list of successfully unemployed people out there in the world. So, you know, don't, uh, don't take it too hard. Sadly, I think, yeah, I think a lot of people are about to join me here, unfortunately, yeah. in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think it's about one in three right now or something, so yeah. it's not too great. But we didn't come here to exclusively talk about unemployment. Yeah, for those who don't know, uh, Derek is a sports broadcaster. That's the proper nomenclature, correct? Would you say that? Yeah, you got it. Sure. Has been, you know, did it for quite a long time. More recently, I uh, worked for 1260 WNDE for, what, eight years? Yeah, eight and a half. Eight and a half years, okay. And that recently came to a halt with some national radio let go business. And now you're here. This has only been like, what, maybe eight weeks or something since that time? A little bit longer than that. Yeah, it's, it's been about 10. It's uh, mid, mid-January is when it happened. So actually, it's, it's creeping up on three months, I guess, um, since the, the, the axe fell, if you will. Okay. Since the digital acts. So what I want to do, 
and I think we'll get around to some of that. But I, I don't want this to be all doom and gloom. I want there to be some optimism, especially in a time right now when there's not a lot of optimism for people out there. So I wanted to talk about the reason I wanted to bring you on uh, for our listeners is I very much see parallels and being a sports broadcaster to that of being a successful musician, running a successful label, just a lot of independent type things on it's very much a gradual, at least for most people, kind of step up a ladder to get to the position or place that you would want to be. And I think you have kind of an interesting story to tell. So thanks for coming on. And let's, I guess let's get into it. Derek, you are not from Indiana, correct? Yeah, I'm from, uh, I was born and raised in Connecticut in a town called Trumbull, which was like suburbia USA. It was, uh, it's a little under an hour from New York City. I know Connecticut is the size of a thimble, but it's, it's technically the southwestern portion of the state. Okay. And how long were you Connecticut? From birth through senior, through high school. So I, I graduated high school in 2001 and decided to go to school at, at Indiana University in Bloomington. And I've been in Indiana ever since. I did go back a couple of the summers in college to work, but really I've been, I've been living in Indianapolis since 2006 and I've really pretty much been living in Indiana since the fall of 2001. Okay. What made you decide to make the excellent choice to go to IU? I didn't go into it blind. My folks were uh, from South Bend and both were IU alums. So okay. we had the tie-in, um, even though I had actually never been on campus before uh, freshman year drop-off. Uh, we had East Coast orientation. Indiana recruits the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut so much that we actually had our own East Coast kid-only orientation in Manhattan. <laughs> so I actually never, I never stepped foot on campus until I, I, my first day. So until my parents were like, "Here you go. Here's your dorm. See ya." Um, but I, I mean, you know, the, the concept of Indiana, I, I know that there are some people that just go into it blind. Like I had a friend that went to Wisconsin who had never stepped foot in the state of Wisconsin, period, and, and then goes to UW. So I, I know that there are some people that go into it blind. I wasn't completely blind. We had a lot of family, but mostly in the South Bend, Plymouth, northern part of the state area. But I was familiar with Indiana. I grew up a, a, a really big IU basketball fan. They actually had a sport communication program while I was there that had just gotten off the ground in the very late 90s. So it had the, the field that I wanted to major into. So, um, you know, people ask me, hey, what, how did you just move, you know, a thousand miles away where you didn't know anybody? And I, I think I was too stupid to realize the magnitude of the decision. <laughs> but that's just I, I was always going to go to IU. I, I knew that I wanted to go to IU when I was in fourth grade. So there, there was no there was no hard decision. I wasn't sweating it out between Indiana and a bunch of other places. It was always going to be IU. I grew up in a similar situation. I grew up in Indiana, wanted to go to IU as long as I could remember speaking. And I applied for school and everything else. I got into some places. I had some like NAIA scholarship offers for cross country. I was totally average in every way, <laughs> but nothing says average like NAIA. So, um, and I was going to go to Marion. I had like an identity crisis where I was like, this is so stupid. I don't want to run anymore. I've wanted to go to IU my whole life. This is dumb. I don't like running that much. Applied, got in, and I dodged the bullet. So, oh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, you know, I think your story. I was a non-athlete, um, and I'm, I, I would rather not discuss that on this pod. But um, I just was, I was horrible <laughs> at sports. I love sports, but I've, I've always been terrible at them. But I had friends that had 
lower level um, football, like D2, D3 offers. And they just decided to go to UConn or wherever else because they were like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to go to this 2,500 person campus in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania or something. You know what I mean? They wanted to, yeah. they wanted a true kind of college experience. So I, I don't think you're alone in that regard. Yeah, already I've already been to high school. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and we went to a big. You know, I, I graduated. I graduated with about five hundred, but the freshman class when I was a senior was seven something. So we whoa. had about two thousand. We we were the largest level of um, high schools in Connecticut. So um, I went to a big high school. So I wanted a I wanted a mega big state school far away. I did not want to go to UConn. Everybody I knew went. My sister went to UConn. All my friends went to UConn. I didn't want to go there. Um, so Indiana kind of fit that, uh, category for me as well. Okay. Uh, last little tidbit. I for sure got the drop off. I didn't even, my parents, uh, didn't even like help me. They followed me with the vehicle, but like I put everything in my Pontiac Sunfire and just showed Mm -hmm. up to campus and I, I went, did all my orientation by myself and everything. And I was just like, Oh wow. All right. I'm at school. (laughs) Let's do it. Here it is. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But it was great. Um, so you're going through uh, IU and your degree is in? It specifically was sport communication broadcast. And then I had, uh, because of the, the prerequisites included a lot of telecommunications classes, I actually ended up by default with a TCOM minor. Okay. Um, and when you, was your hope to just pursue sport broadcasting in any particular format? Did you always want to go into radio? Uh, what was your kind of hope as you're going through school? I wanted to be a play-by-play guy. I wanted to be – Marv Albert was my personal hero. Um, he did Knicks games in the 90s for MSG, and then, of course, you know, he's been a national broadcaster and a, and a legend for a long, long time. Um, but I, I wanted to do play-by-play, which I was able to do with the student radio station. It was then WIUS, which was an AM signal. Now it, it went to FM. WIUX, I, I think. Yeah, t- 10 or 12 years ago, I think it went to FM, and it, it became WIUX. Um, but we did men's bag. We actually drove out to Hartford, Indiana, and UConn had a home and home series when I was a senior. And me and a buddy of mine drove out to Hartford and did the IU UConn game, and then and went down and stayed with my parents, which was a really fun road trip. Um, so that's that's really what I wanted to do. And and I did listen to a lot of sports radio. The first sports radio station ever was out of New York City called WFAN, the Fan Six Sixty. Uh, Mike Francesa, uh, Chris Mad Dog Russo, who's now on Sirius XM. Yeah. And Mike and the Mad Dog were the big show. And um, I listened to that a lot because we obviously were close enough to New York City that we got all the New York stations. And that's kind of what um, inspired me about show hosting. I, I was able to do some show hosting at the student radio station when I was a junior. Uh, I was in Bloomington for the summer. I miss summers in Bloomington. It was the best when everybody was gone. And they had an opening for their Thursday night show, which was called the Thursday night sports happy hour. And it was a solo show. And they were like, Schultz, you want to, you want to do it? And I'd never done show hosting before. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'll give it a try. And I loved it so much that we did a, a senior year show with the buddy of mine that I drove out to Hartford with. His name was Eric. So it was the Derek and Eric show. Um, <laughs> and I, I really kind of fell in love with show hosting from there. And that felt like a much more conceivable show path for me, even though that, Show hosting is super competitive, too, than play-by-play, because the problem with play-by-play is that if you want to be a play-by-play guy in the NFL, guess how many jobs there are available? 32. <laughs> right. 32 jobs, that's it. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and yes, sports radio jobs are limited, 
but you could go to Columbus, Ohio, and there are three spots. You can go to, you know, all these middle markets, Jacksonville, Florida, and there are eight spots. Here in Indianapolis, for a while, we had six spots, and now it's, you know, dwindled down a lot. Um, there were just more jobs available show hosting-wise, and, um, you know, I, I was open to everything. I was the, the sports editor of our high school paper, so I loved to write. I still love to write. Um, I was open to doing print. You know, back in those days, it was, you have to choose your career path. Do you want to do print? Do you want to do radio? Do you want to do TV? And now it's all melded into one. You know what I mean? Like you, sure. you have to be able to do everything. You have to be able to write. You have to be able to hold yourself in front of a camera and you have to be able to speak. And so, um, luckily for me, I wasn't so hyper-focused on, yes, radio was what I wanted to do, but I, I loved every, I'm, I'm a complete, can I say whore on your podcast? I'm a complete, complete <laughs> yeah. camera whore. So I, I love being on camera and, you know, all that stuff just always kind of came natural to me. So, um, I, I was willing to walk through whatever door opened up for me. And, you know, really just from the beginning, radio was the door that opened for me. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the reality, you know, especially now it's basically everyone you have to kind of mold your career and that after basically Bill Simmons. And it's like, yo, you just need to be a poor man's Bill Simmons if you're going to probably make it unless you're like some really yeah. established brand. You know, and the funny thing is, is that, and I think Bill would even admit this, Bill sucks on TV. His, he's got a real whiny voice. You know what I mean? Like he, he's not great on television, but people care what he, the, the thing that Bill did is that he just built a brand for himself and people, people yeah. really care. A, they care what he has to say and B, he's a polarizing figure. So, you know, when I was growing up reading Bill Simmons, it was when the Boston sports teams were a joke. The Celtics best player was like Dino Raja. Uh, the, the Red Sox couldn't get out of their own way. They had Pedro and nothing else. Uh, the Patriots were a, a freaking joke. Yeah. You know, before Brady and Belichick, when I was growing up and we were in Connecticut, which was a weird dividing line with the Boston teams, you know, the nobody liked the Patriots. I had Sox fan friends. I had Celtics fan friends. Nobody gave a crap about the Patriots. And what really shifted for him was obviously in the, in the early to mid-2000s, all these Boston teams started winning titles. And then he became this, like, instead of the lovable loser, like, oh, my God, I feel sorry for this guy. It became, oh, my God, this guy needs to shut up. I hate him because he's so <laughs> arrogant about his teams. You know what I mean? And um. And I, sorry, I, I didn't want that to come off as me like knocking Bill Simmons. No, but, not um, at all. I, I think even even guys that have quote unquote made it and and become these big stars um, can struggle in certain areas. It's really hard to find somebody who is really perfect in in all of them. Yeah, that's the. I mean, that's the reality of specialization, you know. So yeah, um, yeah, those uh, sweet Antoine Walker era Celtics. Um, oh God, remember? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, do you can, I guess as we keep going through, so you, you get out of school and, uh, what's your first like position out of school? Well, I did, I did two internships while enrolled in college. So I did one with a Bloomington station that was the IU flagship. Um, it was called WHCC. It was actually a country station. Uh, and then I did one with WIBC when I was a senior with Kevin Lee, who, you know, NBC sports and, um, IndyCar. Yeah. A familiar face. Um, he was the sports director then of WIBC when they were just the AM 1070, which is now, of course, the ESPN affiliate. And so my first job was actually the Pacers brawl year uh, was to be the <laughs> locker room. I would be the person that would gather locker room audio for their postgame show. That's amazing. So, every, so, you know, I started that uh, internship in the first week of November when the NBA season started. And you're thinking Three the Pacers later. are going to be a title contender. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
three weeks, you know, and, and at the time it's Artest and, and Jackson and J.O. and Reggie's last year. We didn't know at the time it was Reggie's last year. And then three weeks later, all hell breaks loose. And then I'm going in the locker room and I, I'm getting audio from like Eddie Gill and you know what I mean? <laughs> people like that, Jonathan Bender. And you're like, what, 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 what the hell happened here? Um, it was, it was amazing. It was amazing for that to be my first kind of foray because I, I did a lot with IU sports. So, you know, men's basketball, football, like all of that stuff was old hat for me, but you know, getting to be in an NBA locker room, it was really surreal for me interacting with Reggie Miller for the first time, who was a guy that I just hated as a kid growing up <laughs> as a rabid Knicks fan. Uh, but that, that was kind of a fun sort of, um, you know, jump into the deep end, uh, not being able to swim kind of moment for me. Um, but, you know, in August, I, I graduated in June later that summer in 2005. And in August, I'm thinking to myself, you know, what do, what do I do? Do I do I go back to Connecticut and move in with my parents? Um, I had three roommates and they were all a year under me. So they were going back to Bloomington and I just wasn't really ready to leave yet. And I was interested in you know, kind of staying in the Midwest, I, I really was um, close to maybe going up to Chicago because I wanted to stay close. I, I really didn't want to go back home and live with my folks. And um, I was overcooking steaks at the Outback Steakhouse in Bloomington. All right. And I thought, <laughs> as long as I'm hanging out and doing this and trying to build up some money uh, to maybe move to a, a bigger city, why don't I just get another internship? I, I might as well. Let, let's get something in the morning because my Outback shifts are at night. So I called up Greg Rakestraw, who um, does the Colts. Uh, post-game show and Indy 11 and a bunch of other things. And I said, hey, uh, you know, my name's Derek. I just graduated. Um, I can't get college credit for this. Are you still accepting interns? He's like, yeah, come on. It, come intern with us. It was a real, like, loosey-goosey, unofficial sort of thing. It was at ESPN 950. And two weeks later, he started throwing me part-time hours. So I, I almost immediately became paid and employed. It was like $9 an hour or whatever it was. But You're like, hey, yeah. Right away. Yeah, I'll take it, sure. Uh, so I was, so I did that for the full year for 0506, the calendar year. I literally, I'd wake up at 630 every morning, drive to Indianapolis from Bloomington, uh, intern from 730 to whatever. Um, sometimes those shifts were staggered. So sometimes I'd, I'd get paid for some of it. Um, if I had to run the board or do updates or anything like that, uh, drive back from Bloomington to Indy, nap for exactly one hour and then go to Outback and work the 2, 2 p.m. to 11 p.m. grill shift. <laughs> so, and, and, and that was just my life. That was, you know, I, I, uh, you know, even on Saturdays and Sundays, I didn't have to go in for the internship, but I'd still have to go in to, to run the board and work. So literally, I, I don't think I had a day off, uh, outside of Christmas for like the entire year in 0506. Um, and then I, uh, eventually, um, I left Outback, started working, um, more of a full-time, part-time kind of role. So it, it got up to like 30 hours, I think. And I had a little bit of a kitty for me to fall back on to survive, to like pay rent and eat food and all of that. <laughs> um, but then that spring in 2007, I became a full-time employee. Okay. And, uh, they, they let me start doing their high school football show. So high school Friday night, it was called. And that was my first professional show hosting experience um, with, it, it, with a radio station. Okay. So you're working at 950. Was it ESPN 950 or XL? It was just branded as, yeah, ESPN 950. It didn't become XL950 until the ESPN affiliation went to um, went over to 1070 in January of 08, and then okay. it became XL950. Okay. And at what point did you get your own show? What year was that? Like uh, as far uh, as like uh, your daytime yeah, drive home. 
Jan- well, Drive Home, I didn't get until 2009. Um, but the first, like, really owned show that I had, it was called The Extra Large Lunch. We like to do XL because the call letters were WXLW, so everything was a play on it. Oh, XL, it's really big. Makes you know, it. <laughs> I mean, that's sports radio. It's it's not, of course, it's not specialized to there. It's everywhere. You know, it's kind of like classic rock stations are always like the wolf or, you know, something like that. Um, So I did the extra large lunch with a guy named Jeremy Bilek, who um, actually was the pastor, which was a fun dynamic because I just bust his chops all the time and he could never come (laughs) back. He could never clap back at all. You know what I mean? Because, you know, God, God will smite you. Um, so I did that for a year, which was a lot of fun. We did a, a weekly show in the football season with Jeff Saturday, the Jeff Saturday show every Tuesday. And that was my first kind of player interview uh, format kind of show. And, and that kind of helped me get my feet wet into um, being an afternoon host for a much larger format because the extra large lunch was only 12 to 1. So it was just literally a one hour show, which I could do in my sleep. Um, the Zone, which was the afternoon show, was 3 to 6. And I started co-hosting with Greg Regstraw. So it kind of, you know, came full circle, if you will. And then Greg left that spring to pursue um, television. And so that became my show, which is when uh, right around when when we uh, met and, and started knowing each other. So um, I did that from spring of 09 until summer of 2011. So a little over two years. And then that's when I took the WNDE job. OK. Uh, yeah. For transparency, I uh, interned at XL 950 for a brief moment. I have a long, rich history of being a very old intern. <laughs> at many jobs um but it's just a free way to see if you like something so you go from xl 950 now 1260 uh how did that come along how did that whole relationship develop uh i actually got a call from a guy that i knew that that covered the Colts that was supposed to go on you know i was on the afternoons on 950 the zone Uh, mark patrick was on 1260 afternoons and then jmv is still on 1070 um was uh, eventually moved over to, I think it was actually Kravitz and Eddie at that time. Um, and then, yeah, sounds JMV. right. When I first started in 950 and then became JMV later on. Um, and a buddy of mine was supposed to go on Mark Patrick's show and he called me and he's like, Hey man, um, I just got a call from Mark's producer and says, Hey, don't worry about today. There's no show because they canceled the show. And I said, Oh, really? So I, um, I emailed a guy that I knew over there, Jay Baker, who, um, you know, is a Bob and Tom, you know, a great, great dude. He's been in indie radio for, 40 years. And I said, Hey, I know you're in the, it was then clear channel. It became iHeartMedia. media. And I said, Hey, I, I know you're in the building there. Who's the PD? Like who's, who's the guy that I would talk to? And he, he emailed me and said, Hey, it's Buzz Casey. And this is his email. So I emailed Buzz before my show that day. And I said, Hey, my name's Derek. I'm, you know, no idea if you know who I am. I, I post the afternoons on 950, but heard there's an opening and I'm really interested in, in case you're interested. He emailed me about an hour later and said, Hey, let's grab coffee. Uh, we grabbed coffee two days later and four days later I had the job. So it was a really, wow. it was a whirlwind sort of a thing. And, and what ended up happening was, um, you know, I was approaching it like, oh, they want me to be the solo host. And of after we had, we had agreed to everything, they said, hey, just by the way, you know, we were thinking about making this a two-man show and we know that you have experience doing a two-man show. Um would you be in favor of that? And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I got no problem with that. Who's the second person? Who's the guy? Well, it's Jay, it says Jake Query. And I said, oh, okay, well, I know Jake a little bit. I never actually met him in person. Um, 
the reason that I knew Jake, Jake worked at IBC right after I interned there and was an IndyCar guy. And, and you know, it's very incestuous in, in indie media. Everybody knows everybody. Um, and he was, and still is, dating Shannon Walsh, who was the daughter of Donnie Walsh. And Donnie at that time was running the Knicks. And so Jake and I would text back and forth, and he'd feed me all this like inside information that Donnie relayed to him about <laughs> trading for Carmelo Anthony and all this other stuff. So that was like my whole relationship with Jake. But um, I didn't have a non-compete clause in the contract, which is uh, rare in the business. Like I, I have a non-compete right now, which means if 1070 called me today and were like, hey, we want to hire you, I wouldn't be able to officially work for them until July. Um, but I did not have one with 950. So um, I did my last show on Friday at 9.50, and my first show was uh, Monday um, with 12.60. So there was no gap in between. I gave them my two weeks. You know, I wanted to do the right, right. thing because they did everything right. right for me over there. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think what the show became, and people liked it. I mean, it, it made it eight and a half years, so we had a good run. But I, I think it would surprise some people to know that Jake and I had actually never met um, in person. We, we really just kind of got thrown thrown into that situation and had to kind of feel our way around to um, figure out how to play off one another. And, and I, I like to think, even though I'm obviously biased, that we, we built a decent chemistry um, all those years together. Well, I think, uh, I mean, the reality that it survived that long, you know, is an indicator to that. I mean, eight and a half years is a long time. Most people don't stay in a job more than three years, you know, three to five. Yeah, and it's yeah. great, too, because, um, you know, I can live with, even though it was was sudden and it it sucked, I can live with unavoidable nationwide corporate layoffs being how you go, as opposed to, hey, guys, you're just not good enough. We're going to replace you. Yeah, not really moving the needle. Yeah, which is apparently not going to happen. You know, my my, local bosses were great. They really didn't want to lose us. In fact, they were... um, there, there were some talks uh, in the weeks afterwards about trying to figure out something, and, and that may still be a possibility. I, I don't want to get too much into details about that because I'm, I'm not at liberty to, <laughs> to go really right. in depth about that. But my point is, is that it was not a, it was not a local decision. It was a, a national thing, and and that's a lot from a pride standpoint. It's easier to go out that way because you know I've I've had a lot of friends and uh, in the business that for whatever reason you know it just didn't work out. It was a bad situation or. Um, you know, the ratings or the revenue or whatever for a, a myriad of reasons weren't where they needed to be. So um, they, they had a much more kind of cold separation from their station than, than what we had from ours. Okay. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, 1260, they don't have a single local show at this time. It's all just national, like, loop-in yeah. stuff, correct? They, they yeah. have local sports properties, so they, they are the co-flagship with a station in West Lafayette for Purdue men's basketball and football. Okay. They're the flag for the Indianapolis Indians. Um, but that, that is the extent of their local presence. Uh, they run Fox sports radio with Doug Gottlieb and um, Dan Patrick and Clay Travis. And then they have uh, Rush Limbaugh uh, from premier, which is all under the same umbrella. Premier is under the umbrella of iHeartMedia, Media. So um, it's all under the same umbrella, even though technically, obviously Rush is not a, a sports show. No. Uh, I mean, he, you know, he had a moment there. He did sports there and went, uh, went great. He did ESPN. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, went it, went, it went amazingly well. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so good. Uh, <laughs> so I want to touch on a few things that I think are worth, uh, you know, remembering during your time at 1260. And I, I think I speak for a lot of people that a, I hope that either b something, you know, redevelops during, you know, with that, or obviously you just find something else and, 
are able to continue. Um, I think the more local voices we have in anything, I think is, uh, is, you know, a benefit, you know, to the community. During your time at 1260, you guys did a litany. Uh, you had like a weekly Colts interview show, correct? Uh, we, we did. Uh, we did not this past season, but uh, we had the Reggie Wayne show uh, 23 seasons. We had the Robert Mathis show. We did a, a year where we rotated guests. And then I'll tell you a quick story. The first year was 2011, yeah. which was um, the Colts started 0-13. And we had gotten hired on in August of 2011. <laughs> you know, August 15th was our start date. And the first thing that my boss instructed me to do was, hey, uh, we have a Colts player show and I need you to book two Colts. And I said, Buzz, it's August 15th, my man. Like training camp is over and you're wanting me to book guests for a Colts show. And the season starts in like three weeks. So I'm hustling to get guests on. And, you know, you go through, you know, you ask Peyton Manning just because you have to ask Peyton Manning. Right. Of course, Peyton Manning says no. Reggie at that time said no. Um, I'm trying to think of who we asked. Freeney. Uh, Dallas Clark originally said yes, and then we didn't have the budget for Dallas Clark. Yeah, you go through the profile um, list and you're working your yeah, way down. So we go through, <laughs> we go through that. Um, and we did get a couple of yeses. Joe Wrights uh, did the show. Anthony Costanzo was a rookie then. Uh, he agreed to do the show. I had to push... And really, really pushed my boss to allow us to have Pat McAfee on because he was hung up on the fact that Pat was a punter. <laughs> and I was like, no, dude, you don't understand. This guy's really funny and he's got a great personality. I think he'd be really good on the radio. And we one should, day he's going to own Pat his own sports branding business. Exactly. And, <laughs> and you know, I, I have no idea. You know, Pat and I have been friendly over the years. I have no idea if he even remembers that. But we have to have been the first outlet to ever put him on in an official capacity. Um, and, and so we, you know, we, we had this kind of cluster of players, but the, the joke was that by week six, really by week four, it was apparent that the Colts were going to be freaking terrible. So every <laughs> single week on Monday, I, you know, I was interacting with all the agents because I booked everybody. So I was kind of the middleman between the company and, and the player. Right. And I'm getting calls Monday night from agents. Hey, uh, you know, Philip Wheeler is not interested in doing this. Hey, so-and-so is not interested in doing this. And then I'm happy to find people on the fly. We kept calling like Darren Evans off the practice squad because he was a Warren Central guy. So at least he could do it because he was always happy to, to I'm forever indebted to Darren Evans for saving my butt a, a couple of times. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was just the biggest disaster in the world because we were hosting it at Hoosier Park in Anderson. Most of the players live on the Northwest side. So Anderson's, a, a decent drive, uh, at least 45 minutes, if not even longer than that, to get all the way up there. It's two hours, and you're asking them to do it on their off day. So, and, and they sink. Yeah, and, and, and in the middle of like, uh, yeah. you want to review? You guys got blown out 38 to zero. How to? What do you think oh, you could God. have improved? It, it was it was just awful. Like you know, it, I, I remember uh, after the Saints game when they lost 62 nothing or 62 seven <laughs> on Sunday Night Football, and we have the Colts player show, and you know you're, you're trying to do like the whole, you know, so how quickly do you put this one behind you? And you know, even they, even they're not believing the answers that they're given. You know what I mean? It was, it was all kind of a joke. Um, so that was my first foray into it, but um. The Reggie Wayne show specifically were some of my favorite show memories. Um, when he got hurt in 2013, we had to fill in his role and for a couple of weeks because he went down to Miami to rehab. And, you know, Jake was like, well, why don't you call Luck? I was like, Luck's not going to do it. I was like, fine, I'll call, I'll call Luck. We actually knew somebody in the building that, that used to float him concert tickets. 
So I asked Todd, who I worked with, I said, hey, Todd, why don't you why don't you float me Andrew's number and let me reach out to do this? And so we contacted him and he was like, yeah, sure. Where is it? I'm like, oh, my God, Andrew loves to do the show. <laughs> so it's at George's Neighborhood Grill at 71st and Binford. So the Monday, again, all hell always broke loose on Monday for these shows because they were always on Tuesday. I get a call from Reggie's agent and says, hey, Reggie's back in India and he wants to start doing the show. And you're like, well. You know, I'm thinking to myself, well, I got Andrew Luck book for tomorrow, but what are you going to do? It's the Reggie freaking Wayne show. You can't tell Reggie Wayne that he can't be on the Reggie Wayne show. Right, right. right. So I just told him, I, you know, hey, full disclosure, when we thought Reggie was going to be in Miami for a month, we, we asked Andrew to do one of the shows and he agreed to do it. Is Reggie cool if Andrew comes to it? He's like, yeah, sure. So we had Reggie Wayne and Andrew Luck do the show together. In the middle of the 2013 season, which was freaking amazing, it felt like we were the Beatles. You know what I mean? Like we were well <laughs> over fire code at at George's Neighborhood Grill. There were people everywhere, and um, and th- that was uh, that was really fun. You know, it's 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 very hard in our business to get to know somebody when you're standing at a locker and you can ask at mo- at most the maximum you can ask is two questions, and they have ten minutes. Uh, it's hard to get to know somebody when you're on the phone with them and they have seven or eight minutes. When you have this player show and it's long form and it's an hour and you don't only have to talk football and you get to know them, um, that's what's really unique and fun for the listener to kind of unearth. Mark Boyle, who's the, the Pacers play-by-play voice, said it best. These are just regular people with really cool jobs. And yeah. that's kind of the way that I've always looked at it with athletes. Like, yeah, I still get starstruck watching guys, meeting guys that I grew up watching. But for people, you know, Andrew Luck is younger than me. Reggie Wayne's basically my age. He's two or three years older than me. Um, you just kind of realize that at the end of the day, they have families and they, they watch Tiger King on Netflix. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're regular yeah. people. And to make that related, that, that was kind of one of the most fun parts of my job. Because if I had to... If I had to talk about Jacoby Brissett's QBR for four straight hours every day, I'd, I'd put a bullet <laughs> in my head. You know what I mean? I get that that's part of it, but what I really enjoyed the most doing is um, is is kind of being the intermer- intermediary to help people uh, get to know some of these players on a, on a human basis. For sure. And I think, maybe not exclusively, but even from your time at 950, I think the way that kind of you carried yourself through all that was very different. It did not feel like, at least as long as I've been around, like a typical Indiana sports radio show. It was a little more forward thinking about trying to get people to tell the story, I guess. Um, I don't know, something I always appreciated. Now, you grew up, obviously, we talked about in Connecticut, you grew up a, a Knicks fan. As you've lived here long enough, do you consider yourself more of a, <laughs> you know, yeah. I. I guess like an Indiana professional team fan or do you still have some love for New York? Are you still, you know, before the virus tuning in to watch the Knicks, you know, yuck yeah, it up? You know, uh, I, once you've kind of seen behind, once you've seen Oz behind the curtain, if you will, <laughs> I, I just think that I absorb sports a lot differently now, having kind of been in the business for God, almost 15 years. Uh, for well, sure. I guess I'm, I'm out of the business now, but you know, having been in the business for 15 years than I did uh, when I was in college or when I was first starting out, when I was still like when you and I were working together, I was still really rabid into the New York teams and I was watching every night and following everything so that and life gets in the way I have a family and, and all of that. How I would answer that is that I root for people and the realization for me has come because of our relationship, our previous relationship with 1260 at Purdue. 
Well, I, I grew up a rabbit IU fan. I hated Purdue. I hated Gene Cady. Uh, I hated Brian Cardinal. I hated him. I hated him with every every bone in my body. Like, as he swooped his hair, as he swooped his yeah, hair at the exactly, free throw line. Exactly. Yeah, hated him, hated him, hated him, hated him. <laughs> and um, that affiliation, we started doing uh, shows from Matt Painter's practice, where it'd be closed practice, no media, no anybody else, just the basketball staff and the players. Uh, Matt Painter is one of the most down to earth, cool dudes I've ever met in sports. Uh, Elliot Bloom, their director of basketball ops, Chris Foreman, their SID, Tom Schott, who's been there a, a, a long time with their sports media department, great. All their players have been super awesome. We had Brian Cardinal on for an hour when we were down in Louisville, when Purdue was down there um, before their game against Tennessee and the epic game against Virginia. And he was great. Couldn't have been a nicer guy. And I found <laughs> myself actually, I, I was literally upset that they lost that game to Virginia. Whereas, you know, 15 years ago, I would have been celebrating that. I would right. have loved it, that they, that they missed the Final Four. And I was legitimately, set, you know, first off, we would have gotten to go to Minneapolis and it would have been awesome. We would have done the show from the Final Four. Um, but so I was bummed about that, but, but secondly, I, I was bummed because those are people that I genuinely care about and were rooting for and, uh, and they didn't make it. So, uh, Butler is the same way. We've become Butler season ticket holders where we're a short, uh, walk from Hinkle Fieldhouse and our, our buddy, John, John Dedman is a neighbor of ours and he's their SID now. Um, and so, you know, I've become kind of a Butler fan too. I root. I'm not a fan of the Colts. I wouldn't say that I'm a fan of the Pacers, but I I pull for them to do well because this is the kind of market where the fans 100% of the time want to see the team do well. And that's different from New York and Chicago because when the Bears stink, everyone in Chicago loves it because they get to call up at Sports Talk Radio like right. score or MVP, you know, ESPN 1000 and complain about Jay Cutler or, or Mitchell Trubisky or whatever else. And same for the Knicks. People like to just dog the Knicks. When when the team is bad, like the 2011 Colts, people here just check out. They're gone. And yeah, no, they're, they're ready to sell the know? team. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'll blame them. I, I I think the other thing that I've kind of learned about sports is, and, um, you know, and, and there are diehards that don't like this, but I think things are only worth your time. I, I, I don't believe in blind loyalty anymore. I used to. But now, like, the Knicks aren't worth my time, so I'm not investing any time in them because I have these other things that I that are worthy of my time investment, and the Knicks are not one of them. And that's kind of how I approach sports fanship, too. So, yes, there'll, there'll always be a part of me that cares about the Knicks, um, the Yankees. I still, con I still consider myself a Yankee fan because that's never been a conflict because there's no baseball team here. But my IU basketball fanship has really waned. Um, the Giants... Seeing them win a Super Bowl here and getting down on the field and scooping up confetti and sending it to my dad, that was I'm I'm good. I'm good for life. The Giants yeah. could go 0 and 16 for the rest <laughs> of my life and, and I'm fine because I have that moment. So that that's kind of where I am as a fan. It it just it's just not as important to me. I used to just live and die with these teams and and I've just kind of grown out of it slash been part of the business enough where um I just look at I view it through a different prism than I used to. Makes sense. And I think, I mean, I think that's probably pretty common for most people who've been in sports broadcasting or any sports related, probably job for an extended period of time. I guess the last few questions I have before we get into this quick little tangent round, and that'll be that is what do you hope for in your future? Like, what are you looking to do? What are you, what are your plans or hopes at this time? I mean, I would like to, I'd like to stay in it because it's, always been a dream of mine to be a sports broadcaster and 
I, I don't want to just give up on that. Um, I understand the climate and where we are and how difficult it's going to be to get something as a standalone thing, but I would like to be involved in some capacity, whether it be a podcast or something even freelance and, and kind of keep myself out there. I feel like, you know, not to, I'm, I'm not bragging or anything. I, I, I feel like I've built somewhat of a brand, if you want to call it that. That's always been a word I've been uncomfortable with. Um, you're a known see, commodity and, for sure. Yeah. Right. Uh, your words. Um, and I, I would like to, you know, that that's, I would like to keep that going. You know, I put a, I would hate to just flush it. You know, we just talked Chris about, I, I did three internships. You know, I, I picked up probably a hundred breakfast burritos over the years. I, I worked part-time hours when I was starving and couldn't afford my car payment. And I did all of that. I put all of that in to realize a dream and, I would hate for all of that to just go away because a bean counter in New York City at corporate decided, hey, that that's that this is it for this, 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 and this, and 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 that ended it for me. Um, that would be hard. But I do think you know, talk about viewing things in a different prism. I love this. I love sports. I love sports media. Um, sports media is not priority number one for me. It's not priority number two for me. It's not priority number five for me. I have a three-year-old son. I have uh, a beautiful wife and family. Uh, my parents moved here after 40 years in Connecticut. Uh, I, I, I have an unbelievable circle of friends. I have so many other things in my life that are more important to me now than when I was 25 and I was single and had no kids. And this was the only thing for me. This is just yeah. what I was living for, you know? Um, so I, I'm not willing to leave Indianapolis. This is home. Uh, I'll leave sports media before I leave Indy. So uh, really right now, um, even though it's uh, as fun as it's been to go through a job search during the middle of a worldwide pandemic and a soon to be recession, <laughs> I, I, I'm starting to kind of come to peace with, okay, if this is over for me, can I live with that? And I, I think I'm at peace if this is it. Um, I don't want it to be it, but I think I'm at peace with it. If this is it, I, I think I can be happy doing something that brings me joy every day while my the people around me are happy that's the most important thing to me so i've been looking in the communications field places where i have relevant job experience and i'm 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 hopeful i mean i'm scared um and i'm anxious and and all of the things that I, I think normally you would talk to anybody who's been laid off are um but at the same time i'm hopeful that uh i could find something else uh, maybe a new chapter maybe a new path and still somehow stay involved from the sports side um, independently if something with job-wise doesn't come along for me. I'm, I'm, I'm not just going to sit and wait and, and force my family to sacrifice to make it happen. You know what I mean? Like I, right. I'll, I'll, I'll walk before I have to do that. Obviously, we, we hope nothing for the best for you, and we're glad to hear that you're not a maniac and you put your family first. And like, uh, <laughs> Okay, so I want to get into two sports questions, five dumb questions, and we're out of here. Okay, first thing. Thoughts on the proposed NBA in Vegas situation? No, you... it's, it, it just, just, it's over, guys. Just cancel it. It's done. Uh, logistically, it would just be a complete nightmare. Um, I, I think, I, I think we have to be at peace. And I'd say the same thing for baseball. The spring and summer sports are, are donezo to me. Like, if they run the Indy 500, I'll be shocked if there are fans there in August. Um, I, yeah. I think that's where we are right now. If, if we can save football, then 
then that's good at this point. With and I'm only talking about where we sit today. It's it's it really is hard to forecast. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer, but I think no, the NBA or any of this stuff is, is completely out the window at this point. Yeah, it seemed pretty ridiculous. The one to me that's the craziest is UFC, and like they can't find a venue almost anywhere on the planet, and they're just like, nope, we're going to push forward. We're pushing forward. Yeah, it's like guys get get the hint, right? Everybody else is. I, I mean, I guess WWE still did their WrestleMania, but pretty much everybody else is. Has, has bagged everything. Today uh, would have been the tournament final for March Madness, correct? Yes. Yeah. Man, what a strange trip. Whenever the announcement first came without fans, I thought, whoa, I can't believe they're going to do it with no fans. It's college. They need that revenue. Like, they actually need those people in the stands. And it didn't take long before Rudy Gobert touched everything and, like, basketball was over. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that was it. It's sad. Uh, I, I missed the whatever the ridiculous tip time. What was it like nine forty five? Yeah, tip time for the, the championship game. Um, it's I, I love college basketball, so it's it's really sad. I, I'm sad that we didn't get the regional here. You know, we we could have easily had a regional with like Kentucky, Kansas, and Michigan State because we're so we're in the middle of all these unbelievable programs. Um, that that likely would have gotten sent here, and and of course we don't get that. Um, at least the final four wasn't this year because that that would have yeah that would have really sucked the final four. Yeah, yeah. Thoughts on Philip Rivers? Thoughts on bringing his offensive line of ten uh, kids out here? Yeah, I'm uh I'm good with it. I'm good with it, not because I love Rivers, even though I love his attitude. Rivers yeah. is the kind of guy you hate if he's on the other team. You love him if he's on your team. You know. Yeah. Um, I was fully on board with moving on from Brissett. Um. I, I think they, uh, Jacoby Brissett's a backup quarterback. Nice guy. Um, spot starter could win you a game in a pinch, maybe, but not, not anything close to a franchise guy. I don't care about the knee. I don't care about the weapons that he had. Uh, four seasons in the league. He's 28 years old, 30 plus starts under his belt. If there was something special there, we would have seen it and we haven't. So, um, I was full on moving on from Brissett. So literally any move that they could have made outside of rolling it back with Brissett, I would have been in favor of, but. I think there's a good chance that Philip Rivers has got nothing left in the tank. He's 38. He had a terrible season last year. Um, but if they can get competent quarterback play from him, if he could just not screw up and be able to throw downfield and not be afraid to throw downfield like their previous quarterback that I just mentioned, then I think the Colts would be in okay shape. They've got a great line. They've got a, a really good uh, running game. I'm a little bit worried about them at receiver and tight end. They're not as strong as they've been in past years. Um, but we'll see what they do through the draft there. But I, I don't think they, they're as reliant on the quarterback as they were, let's say, four, five, ten years ago. Yeah, where it was just like roll the ball out. Yeah, and... save us, Andrew. Save us, Peyton. So... <laughs> right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's what it was really for a long time. All right. Well, I have five kind of off-the-top questions, just weird questions here that are important. And uh, my first question is to be like a lightning round. And I ask these because I know some level of information about you and your passion for these things. Uh, what is your favorite type, if I am correct uh, here, of ice cream cake? Ooh, Fudgy the Whale. <laughs> Can you explain yeah. your love for Fudgy the Whale? Yeah. There's a, the, the big ice cream chain in the Northeast is called Carvel. I think it, it originated out of New York. And we had... Um, we had chains in, in, in Connecticut, and we always go every, after the Little League game. It's always you go to Carvel and you get you get a couple of scoops. But they had something called Fudgy the Whale, and it was this ice cream cake, like an Oreo cookie ice cream cake. And for every big occasion, it started with Father's Day, and Father's Day, and it was for a whale of a dad. That's how they trotted out <laughs> Fudgy the Whale, and then it became birthdays and and all all 
you know, anniversaries, uh, any sort of occasion became a Fudgy the Whale cake holiday. And uh, and I thought everybody knew what Fudgy the Whale was until I came out to Indiana and realized, A, there's no Carvel, and B, when you talk about a giant poop brown chocolate whale... <laughs> Uh, and assume that people know what that is, and you show it to them, everybody's like, what the hell is that? So, um, it, so it yeah, that el- was always kind of a running joke. Didn't elicit the same response you wrote No, no, it did not. Um, second, what is your greatest wiffle ball memory? Oh, jeez. Uh, I actually, when I started the Trouble Wiffle Ball League in the spring-summer of 1998, I was a uh, sophomore in high school. And in the first game, my team, the Trumbulls, ended up defeating White Chocolate because I hit a two-run walk-off homer in the we played seven inning games in the seventh inning, um, and to hit a homer you had to basically hit it dead center field. There was a tree that we had in, in dead center, and it had to hit the branches of the tree, um, or else it was just a ground rule double. I think if it hit the base of the tree, I put that baby far up into the leaves, and I did. It was the summer of '98, right? So the McGuire Sosa chase. So I did the full Sammy Sosa two hops, uh, kiss the fingers, <laughs> hit, the, hit the chest thing. That that was that was the moment uh, for me. For actually, that was probably the pinnacle of my athletic career. Sadly. <laughs> okay, and we'll get to the other end here shortly. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. You, while at 1260, uh, WWE when they would be in town, sometimes would send over a wrestler and would um, you'd get to interview him. And yes, if I remember correctly, you decided to wear a singlet when Charlotte Flair came in for an interview. Is that correct? I sure did, and let me tell you, she was not a fan. I'm sure she, she wasn't. Was, I'm sure yeah, she wasn't. She, she was not a fan, uh, and you know, I, I, I wasn't being creepy or anything like that. You know, we, we really were just trying to be kind of funny. We, we weren't, you know, we had a serious interview, and then I changed into the single, so I wasn't trying to, you know, be a jerk or anything. Um, but, you know, all the WWE people that we had were Big Show and um, Lucha Dragons and Kevin Owens. I mean, we, we had so many people that came through. I can't even name them all. Mick Foley was freaking awesome. They were always so friendly and cool and kind of laid back. And, and you know, I understand. She had to do a media tour. She did a bunch of TV stations. Um, you know, we all had bad days. And I, I just don't, I, I don't know if it was all the singlet. I, I got the read. You're usually able to tell pretty early on if somebody's into it and somebody's not. And she was not into it at all. And then I was like, well, I already paid $30 for the singlet. So I'm getting into singlet anyway. I know she's not feeling this. And I did my whole WWE intro. And uh, oh, man. Jake thought it was great. The listeners thought it was great. Charlotte Flair did not think it was that great. I guess. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and this is not a this is not a direct like height comparison. But meeting Big Show at his ginormous height, like, what was that like just to meet him in person? Was that just insane? Oh, like it was just... crazy. Yeah. It could, it could have been a nicer guy. Gentle giant, though, in, in every sense of the word. Two more questions and we're out of here. Uh, how excited were you as a childhood Knicks fan to meet Patrick Ewing? Yeah, it was amazing. We were on Radio Row at the Final Four in San Antonio. And the guy that was booking the guests for Westwood One, and that was our affiliate, said, hey, um, we were wrapping up the first day. I said, hey, I've got Patrick Ewing coming tomorrow to Radio Row. Do you want him? And I said, wait, are you serious? Patrick Ewing? Meet Patrick Ewing? I told him the backstory. And so we had Patrick over and, um, you know, I tried to keep my composure. And uh, the, the whole thing was surreal. It was like walking on a cloud. And we took a picture afterwards. We did the cool, like, bro handshake thing, which meant a lot to me. <laughs> and uh, could not have been a nicer guy. And I just told him, I said, hey, I actually told him off air. I said, hey, if I, if, 
I ever met you, this is going to sound cheesy, but I, I had to tell you, you know, I had all your posters and uh, your career just meant so much to me. And it, he, he like kind of laughed and, um, you know, it's probably kind of weird for him for me to be like mountain breathing all over him uh, about that. But yeah, uh. yeah. What, <laughs> what an amazing, it was a moment that I'll never forget. Um, you know, I have like three framed pictures in my office and one's of me and my wife, one's of me and my son, and then the other is me and Patrick Ewing. And, and that's, but besides my family, that's about where he ranks in my life <laughs> for, for beloved figures, for sure. All right, and, and final question. Who was the worst guest you ever had in your time on sports radio? Oh, God. Um, honestly, Charlotte Flair would be up there because she just <laughs> she just couldn't, you know. I, I'll chalk it up to a bad day, but, man, like I thought she'd play along a little bit. Um, you know, the, the thing was, most people that came on the show, it's not like a press conference that they have to do, you know what I mean? Right. If, if they're agreeing to come on the show, then they, they want to come on the show. So we didn't run into that. A whole heck of a lot. When I was at 950, I begged and begged and begged that Bill Pullian on, and he finally came on and was not friendly. <laughs> that was at the height of the Colts, though, and, and he was allowed to have an ego, I think, a little bit. And, of course, he ended up being a Hall of Famer, so that, that was a difficult interview. Um, Bob Knight was a tough interview because Jake, I love Jake. Jake gets a little wordy sometimes with questions, and, and he's not, Bob Knight is not the most patient person in the world. So that actually resulted in, eventually, we did about 20 minutes with him before he just basically hung up and said, okay, guys, I got to go, bye. Uh, <laughs> so that was tough. But yeah, you know, I, I, I honestly, the, the positive experiences far outweighed uh, the negative experiences. Yeah, it seems that way. So, yeah. um, well, hey, thanks for taking some time today and just uh, telling your story and where you're at and where you came from. Uh, we're definitely happy to have you here in Indiana. Definitely hope that. You know, the future holds a place for you that ideally you get to continue your sports media career here in Indiana as a local voice. Much needed, man. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Th man. Thanks for inviting me. Congrats on all your success. Hey, you as well, man. Take it easy.